listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxon. A little game I like to play is to see if I can find something that links the two acts of the show together. What, if anything, connects two arts events that have randomly chosen to be on the show on the same day? Sometimes the link is pretty tenuous and probably only makes sense in my own head. And other times it's like the fates of show planning have given me a fun riddle to solve. And this week I had to go back to the year 1370 to find it. Curious? Later in the show, actors John Michael Rutter, Dave Bond and Mike Azar will be stopping in to talk about the Little Theatre of Jefferson City's new production of Ken Ludwig's Robin Hood, which opened last night at the Miller Performing Arts Centre. But before we swirl back to the year 1194, we're going to head back to the late 1400s and the allegorical accounting of the life of every man. The play is one of English drama's oldest works and was written in Middle English during the Tudor period by an unknown author. Its premise is that God, fed up with man's dedication to material wealth, commands death to go to every man and summon him henceforth to make his reckoning. And so the journey begins. What is interesting to me is how similar thematically every man is to an allegorical poem written 100 years earlier in 1370, which is called Piers Plowman, in which a man examines the deeds of life through allegorical characters such as truth, reason and conscience, and in which, and here's the interesting part, you can also find the first ever literary reference to none other than Robin Hood, a.k.a. Act Two of today's show. <laughs> The play Everyman opens at Stevens College's Warehouse Theatre tonight. And here to tell us more about Everyman's reckoning with his life's deeds are its director, Brooke Renault, and Everyman actor, Paige Hudson. Welcome to the show, Brooke and Paige. Hi there. Hi. Okay, so I guess my first question, Brooke, is why Everyman? So, I first read Everyman in high school, actually, four or five years ago, and it had become my favorite play at that time. I, I've i always been very interested in religion. I, as a non-religious person, it, it's just a very interesting subject to me and how it plays into the lives of human beings every day. Um, and so the play itself was so beautiful, it, beautifully written, but it's also just the themes of it are so stunning because it it goes so far past just religion. It talks about humanity and the relationships that we have with ourselves, other people, and the things that we own and the things that we do. So one of the reasons why we chose Every Man is it's such an open script. There's so much to play with, especially with the casting that we are able to do as um, a women's college. Um, it's so open um, with these allegorical characters and the concepts. And it's also, even though it is a 15th century play, the themes are so relevant today with humanity and just how can we be a better person and it was such a beautiful piece to work on that I'm very happy that we chose it because it seems very suited to kind of the climate that we're in right now. 
Tell me about the script you chose, because I guess there's a, a variety of scripts out there for every man. I mean, it's way beyond the uh, yes. <laughs> date where you can alter things. <laughs> yes, yes, extremely public domain. <laughs> right, that's it, public domain. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, so we really just chose um, a random PDF script because most of them are very similar, and because it's public domain, you can cut and splice and do whatever you want with it. I actually took it and splice it up myself and cut it down to something a bit more cohesive, a bit more palatable to an audience of today. And I also, this was something that was a personal choice as a director, um, changing some of the pronouns, making it a bit more open to really humankind as opposed to seeing it as one or the other or this or that. So a few of the characters are gendered, a few of them are not, and it's just a very... I tried to make it as fluid and palatable a piece as could be with the language that it uh, entails because it is Middle English, which is a very difficult language to go for, but it was a lot of fun. It was it was a cool challenge. And so, yeah, cutting down the script uh, just made it easier and trying to make more sense of the message that we really wanted to send and, you know, taking out all of the kind of mush that didn't <laughs> really need to be in there yeah so how much did you cut out like 20 percent um it was already pretty short to begin with most of it is actually in there there's really just a part in the very ending that talks about like priests and sacraments and as far as making it more palatable to the masses and trying to showcase that central message that i really wanted to focus on i kept in religious tones because that's the dignity of the piece but I tried not to make it a uh, too much of one specific um, religion so there was a lot of just one character talking for three pages that was just completely it just didn't make sense to do it um, with the production that we were trying to put on how long does the production run, your production? Uh, about an hour. Almost okay, exactly. that's pretty short. Yes, 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 yes. So Paige, you play Everyman. You do. Fill us in, I gave a brief synopsis at the beginning, but fill us in a bit more about the story and what we learn about Everyman. From the very start, Everyman is brought f to God from death. So death comes in and tells me that I have to go. And I try so many different tactics in order to get away from this truth and then death tells me that i can take some friends with me so i kind of get over it and go look for my friends and i'm sure that they're gonna say yes in every single one of my speeches i am excited to go meet my friends and then every time they say no and my heart is broken a little bit more until my good deeds who i tend to ignore the whole entire show happens to maybe go with me i don't want to spoil it all but um yeah it's really fun way to go on a journey because every time I'm trying a new tactic and I'm a little bit more desperate. And so you talk about your friends and they're all allegorical friends. So who yeah. are your friends that forsake you along the way? So my best friend is Fellowship. And we, uh, I say in one of my speeches, we have so many a day been good friends in sport and play. So that kind of leaves it up to the mind's imagination. But we talk about all of our memories sort of within our scene together. And then after that, I go to my cousin and my kindred and they're family members of mine. So built-in friends and then I move on to my goods which is all of my riches and my gold 
and they say no to me very meanly. And those are my friends that I go to for the first bit of it, and then after I um, make my reckoning, I go on to another set of people who also all turn away from me. And good deeds is the one there's the one friend that stays with you but when you meet good deeds when you go and ask her to go with you she's so weak and lying down and can't really stand because you've kind of abandoned her for yeah. so long <laughs> yeah and the first bit of it death says to me that i have many bad deeds and good deeds but only a few so i obviously never go to see her or never go to spend any time with her because I just don't find it necessary as a very rich, wealthy everyman. And you're too busy with fellowship, carousing and and having partying and uh, if you think of it in modern parlance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Doing other fun things and so fellowship is like, no, dude, I'm not coming with you. I love how when you make your case each time, each time you go to your friend, you say, I need you to help me, I need you to to do this for me. And everyone's like, sure, no problem. And then you say what it is and everyone's like, "Uh, no, dude, (laughs) not. (laughs) Yeah. Not doing that. Yeah, I get so excited because every time I think they're going to say yes and then they turn their back on me. (laughs) Brooke, tell us a little bit more about your director's concept for the production. Yeah, absolutely. So it was very hard to come up with a concept that didn't go like one way or the other in terms of religion because it's such a slippery slope to tread upon. And so really when I was reading it, I, I tried to focus on this idea of creation Um, because God is actually, I love God. God's one of my favorite characters because you kind of get to see God as a person, as someone who has feelings and goes on this roller coaster of emotion um, in the very beginning. And so in my eyes, I saw God as this creator, but so I kind of made God an artist. So God is up in his studio creating all of these different kinds of artworks, paintings, um, sculptures, graphic design, writing, knitting. Our actress, Kat, she literally is up there during pre-show, you know, just knitting her heart away because that's something that she loves to do. So I said, you know, go for it. And it's basically the concept is that God is this artist and every man and every single allegorical character is a different kind of visual art. So there's this separation of the artist up in God's studio, which kind of is representative as heaven, and down on the ground, which is all of these different art forms living in their, um, in this world that isn't really defined by time or place or something like that. Now, all your characters are played by women, because it's the warehouse yes. theatre and it's Stevens College. Yes. And I think it's interesting that when the play, the play was first produced in the 1400s mm-hmm. and it was produced for 75 years, it was, you know, out there and then it kind of vanished until the beginning of the 20th century yes. and it was produced in London, I think in 1901 by the Elizabethan Stage Society and then it went to Broadway and it had a, had a few runs there but each time that it was performed, those first kind of three times, it was with a woman playing every man. So, you know, you read it and you think, oh well, every man is a going to be a man but no actually those yeah. early directors of the 20th century all all interpreted it as a female role yeah it, that's that's one of the biggest reasons why we could do this piece in the warehouse is because it's so open and it's also just a really good statement to make that you know, like you said, you when you initially read it, you're like, oh, every man is a man or of masculine connotation when in reality it nothing Nothing says that it can't be that. Um, So, yeah, it was such a 
such a great choice for us to make this season. When you think back to the early 20th century and they're casting a woman in this role, does it feel like it's kind of a victory for female actors or are we being recharged with original sin? <laughs> are they like, yep, a woman did this to us all? <laughs> That's an interesting concept. Um, I've actually never thought of it like that, but I also haven't really thought of it as like, this victory for women going to school at Stevens it's kind of just like ingrained in us that we play human beings and so it it doesn't really hit us that oh you know it's this gender playing a different gender or a woman getting to do different things it's more of just this is an amazing character that allows somebody of any gender to embody it so it's it was more of just a logical choice and a very um full character for us to explore as opposed to a character that's in a box you know in a dress whatever you want to call it um i i think it less of a triumph and more of a duty i would say i have to say that i mean you said you read it at school i mm -hmm. had never heard of it until really? i know terrible <laughs> so illiterate but i so so thank you for introducing me to it. Paige, did you know this play before you happened upon it? No, I did not. I happened to read the original version and I was really excited to understand it because I <laughs> did not when I first read it. Um, so I going into this process, it was also a learning experience for me on this story. I'm sure that as a young actor, you know, performing, as any actor, performing Shakespeare is kind of a rite of passage. Does this feel like a rite of passage too, doing every man? Is it, a, is it difficult? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, it's been really tough to kind of wrap my mind around it um, as all the words rhyme, but then they don't rhyme. Um, so it's sort of tricking your mind to not be tricked, if that makes sense. Right. And, and, I, and I think the most <laughs> successful Shakespeare is performed. I love watching Greenhouse Theatre Project do oh. Shakespeare because they deliver lines in a way that feels like they're telling it to you in, um, in modern language, even though actually they're speaking, you know, sort of yeah. 16th century English. And this is a little impenetrable in some ways because you're using archaic verb forms, yes. bringeth, sendeth, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're using thou rather than you. Yes, it's so thick. Yeah. It is. I'm interested. It's funny that you said you changed the pronouns because when I read, obviously, the version that you sent me and it says they and I thought, gosh, that's very modern. I didn't think they were writing that way. <laughs> yes, that was my choice. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paige, as every man, you perform the majority of the play. I do. Um, and maybe you could recite for us a passage that has resonance for you. So set the scene for us first. Okay. What, what is happening in this passage? So as I said earlier in the interview, uh, fellowship is my best friend, and this is our final goodbye to each other. So we have just decided that we are not going to see each other anymore, and this is sort of my inner monologue of what it feels like to have fellowship have left me. Okay. And here we have Paige Hudson, poor forming everyman. Lo, fellowship forsaketh me in my most need. For help in this world, whither shall I resort? Fellowship here before with me would merry make, And now little sorrow doth he take. It is said in prosperity friends may find, Which in adversity be full unkind. Now, whither for aid shall I flee, Since fellowship 
hath forsaken me. That was lovely. I, I have a little bit more here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Paige. So what is it that resonates with you most about this passage? I just think he's so desperate at this point because he is just said goodbye to his best friend that he spends all of his time with and he's told them he doesn't want to go with him even though earlier on in the scene he said oh I'll go to hell truly with you and completely turned his back on him so I think it's just everyone has a goodbye to make at some point in their life and this is definitely one of every man's most painful goodbyes it is. Now, I think because it's written in the 1500s, we're not like giving the story away by moving forward the plot a little bit because <laughs> <laughs> it's out there. Um, but he, he says goodbye to his dearest friends, fellowship and, and cousin and kindred and goods and, and this with good deeds. And so he does a little bit of kind of self-reckoning on his way to meet God for the final reckoning. And then he meets some other friends in kind of the second act of the show that are a little more personal. Tell us about his second round of friends that he has to say goodbye to. She, they, they have to say goodbye to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I get to go meet with my strength, my discretion, my beauty, and my five wits. And... It's a very quick interaction as we sort of say hello and I tell them what I have to do and I'm so excited to show them where I have to go. I show them my grave and then beauty comes up and is very much saying no in every respect you can. Um, So that's tough because I am super excited. There's this monologue right after they all come and I'm telling God, I have them all here. I can't wait for them to come with you. And then five minutes later, I'm so frustrated in God because they all left me again. So I even yell at God basically to tell him I don't know what to do anymore. And then I forgot my good deeds again. So she comes back and tells me that she's here to stay. Good deeds there till the end. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of the people, one of the allegorical friends uh, who leaves you at that second point is discretion, which I thought was kind of interesting. Who do you think discretion is in our modern society, Brooke? Oh, okay. This is, yes. This is an interesting question. Um, These four characters in particular were a a struggle um, to think of character traits for them. And and for me, discretion is um, just this coy, but it's more of you are choosing to say what you want to say when you want to say it. I think it's a very modern concept because um, I think in today's society, there's different versions of discretion. I, th- I think it's a concept that really, I, 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 it's, it's so difficult to put into words the concept of discretion because um, what we really played was, as, as far as like Paige, every man, every man's discretion, it's, it's this ability to kind of make decisions, make up your mind, um, keep secrets, hold things in, and only release what you want to. It's more of like a power of self that you can um, keep under control um, is kind of how I have always seen it. Because it seems like discretion is something that you do take with you to the grave. Yeah. Paige, when you're saying goodbye to discretion, kind of in your head, who do you feel like you're saying goodbye to? Or what, what traits are you saying goodbye to? I think at that point I'm saying goodbye to my softness in a way. I have a very nice meeting with every one of them when they come up to me. And discretion and I get very close together and have a almost intimate moment with each other as we're really connecting. So I feel like at this point, I'm sort of saying goodbye to my 
softness on the inside. I'm sort of releasing it and going out into into the world. Because on my next goodbye, I start laughing almost because I'm just so confused on what my next step is. So I think this is the last one that really hurts me because the rest are just funny. <laughs> right. And discretion says, for when strength is gone before, then I follow after evermore. So that kind of links it to that inner softness exactly. that it, it belongs with strength. It was you know, a difficult one for me to kind of get my head around yeah. like why discretion was leaving. Because mm-hmm. it seems, you know, there's that kind of, you know, you take it to your grave with you and that would be discretion. Mm-hmm. There was a contemporary production of Everyman at London's National Theatre back in 2015, and the script had been reimagined by Scottish poet and former poet laureate for the UK, Carol Ann Duffy, and Everyman was played by Chiwetel Ejiofor from 12 Years a Slave. Oh. Um, and they overcame kind of this, this tough language of the original and made it very, very contemporary. Did you have any discussions about how to contemporize this very, very old play? That's a good question. It, it wasn't so much of how to um, contem- contemporize it, uh, make it modern, as, as far as uh, living in the truth of what you're actually saying. A lot of what we did was translating the text. And um, one of the biggest things for me as an actor, uh, as well as a director, is as long as, especially with texts like this, whether it's Shakespeare or Middle English, as long as you can translate it and know exactly what you're saying, at that point, you can kind of separate yourself from the words and deliver the thought in truth just as clearly as you would, as I was speaking to you now. Um, and so it wasn't as much making it modern as much as it was making sure that you were speaking as if this is how you spoke every day um, or delivering a thought as if the, the words weren't holding you back because middle english is it's it's different from shakespeare but it's also not it doesn't have the same meter and um a lot of the verbiage is again it's th- it's a bit thicker so it's very difficult to modernize it there were a few words that we had to just completely change because i knew an audience would have absolutely no clue what was going on if we left those words in there so we had to put a few translations in um and i did a few minor things when I was cutting the script originally and we did more in the room while while rehearsing. So yeah, it, it was more of just living truthfully in what was happening. Paige, what stays with you after you you leave every man on the stage? I think I have such nice encounters with the people who stay with me and with uh, knowledge who stays with me for a really long time. It's this really nice feeling of a hug and so even when I'm going down into the grave I have this person to go with me and my last speech to God is such this thank you for everything that he has taken me through and even after I go through my reckoning I destroy myself for God and at the end I'm still talking to him he's this wonderful man and so even though I don't necessarily personally have a connection with God I think it's so interesting to play someone who has such love for someone for those of us who are slightly allergic to religion for the (laughs) atheists and the agnostics out there I guess the way to think about it is kind of the seven deadly sins yes that seems more contemporary (laughs) yes yes absolutely yeah I am not religious at all I I yeah exactly what you're saying I see it more as these are all people these are allegorical characters 
being personified. I it, just like that, the seven deadly sins. I see it more as factors of relationship and of humanity rather than different aspects of religion or religious text that are being put on stage. Thank you so much, Brooke and Paige. My first act guests today have been director Brooke Renault and actor Paige Hudson. Their production of the 15th century classic play Everyman opens at the Warehouse Theatre tonight for just three performances tonight and tomorrow at 7:30, and a final 2 p.m. matinee on Sunday. Tickets are eight dollars, and you can either get them in advance from the Stevens College box office on 573-876-7199, or you can take your chances and buy them at the door. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You're listening to Speaking of the Arts at 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, and I'll be back after a short break when we'll be circling back even farther through the mists of time to the late 1100s and Nottinghamshire's Sherwood Forest. Back in a mo. Welcome back to Speaking of the Arts. Did Robin Hood really exist? Certainly Sherwood Forest was and is a real place. There was certainly a high sheriff of Nottinghamshire, Derbyshire and the Royal Forests, but the villain of the Robin Hood tale was likely a composite character. The royal references are historically true. Richard I was the third of five sons of Henry II and Eleanor of Aquitaine and was King of England for 10 years until his death in 1199 and was succeeded by his younger brother, Prince John, who ruled England until his death in 1216. The first literary reference to the rhymes of Robin Hood was in 1370 in an allegorical poem called Piers Plowman, after which it was open season for the tale of Robin Hood and he appeared in multiple medieval ballads and poems, though interestingly, he didn't steal from the rich and give to the poor until a tale published in 1592. But whatever the truth, Robin Hood has been a literary, theatrical and cinematic inspiration for over 700 years. Kind of amazing. And it is certainly not a catalogue that is about to expire anytime soon. In 2017, the Old Globe Theatre in San Diego commissioned award-winning playwright Ken Ludwig to write a new comic play. And Ken, who had long wanted to write a play about Robin Hood, chose the mythic hero and gave it his own twist. And it is Ken Ludwig's Robin Hood, which opened last night at the Miller Performing Arts Centre in Jefferson City, and which you only have two more chances to see tonight and tomorrow. And here to tell us more about this swashbuckling hero of social justice and his merry men are John Michael Rutter, a.k.a. Robin Hood, Dave Bond, a.k.a. Friar Tuck, and Mike Azar, a.k.a. the evil Sagai. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. So last night was opening night. How did it go? Well, I mean, I think it went really well, but I mean, we might be biased. <laughs> I told these guys I only forgot 15% of my lines last night, so... You only have about half the lines in the show. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was wondering if anybody fluffed their lines. Uh, well, I mean, as an actor, you never mess up. You know that. <laughs> it was all done exactly like we expected it to do. I'm always amazed when you are acting in a play and the other people around you. When you make a mistake, how everyone else has to like think twice as fast to try and get ahead of you or, or backtrack you a little bit. It's really a phenomenal skill. I always think as long as I can end up where I, I'm supposed to, whatever I say between there, it, it's fine. These guys will catch it. But I need to say that last word. <laughs> or we'll just look at you like you, like, what did you just do? Yes. No. So it's, it's hard to imagine that anyone doesn't know the tale of Robin Hood. Um, but Dave, give us a synopsis of this version of Robin Hood. Okay, so this version... Uh, I like it because it's a little tongue-in-cheek. Um, it's not it's not stuffy at all. 
I personally uh, enjoy the fact that we get to break the fourth wall and interact with the audience. Uh, but it it is the age old tale of uh, Robin being born, and uh, we we fast forward through the the middle years, and then we get to the good stuff where he is trying to right wrongs and um, try to you know rob from the rich and give to the poor and kind of growing into his own. John Michael, you play Robin Hood, a capricious young man who has a moral awakening and matures into a social justice hero. How do you take someone who has been portrayed for centuries and make him your Robin Hood? Well, practice a lot of stage combat. That's <laughs> the very first step. But um, a, a lot of reading through the script and um, trying to think, if I were that character, what is it that he's trying to say right here? What, what's he trying to characterize? There's a stump speech where I have to involve the whole audience and um, thinking, how can I actually get everybody in the crowd to want to say, yes, I'll commit to that as well? And you do that? You, you, you've, you, I mean, last night, you, that was the first chance for you to see it, how an audience reacted. Did that feel like it worked? I mean, there was a couple of scattered, yes, out in the crowd, so that... <laughs> That was a success. <laughs> I think he did fantastic. He, he did great. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, it, uh, it's that awe-inspiring, uh, just like every speech in a good movie where you, you rally the crowd, and uh, he did grand. The playwright, Ken Ludwig, he talks about how he read multiple versions of the story before he wrote his version. John, Michael, you started out as a classical scholar, right? You studied Greek and the classics, I believe, at Brigham Young University. Did you do a lot of background reading to uh, find your way to the modern Robin Hood? So my my father's actually an English professor at at BYU, and so I was raised with a lot of Robin Hood stories. (laughs) And uh, I've heard it lots of different ways. I know that when we were going out for the part, my wife and I were in the play together, and I said, really, I aspire to be Errol Flynn. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> and did, did, uh, did your wife say that she felt that she wa- you were channeling Errol Flynn? Um, she didn't know who Errol Flynn was at first, but she knows now, and so that's what's important. Dave, as Friatuck, you have a dual role of being one of Robin's merry men, but also being in charge, as you mentioned, of breaking the fourth wall and speaking directly to the audience as kind of the narrator of the tale. How difficult is it being in character one minute and then moving through the wall the next? Um, it's fun. I I don't find it necessarily difficult, except for... When I have to run back and forth, uh, that, that brief moment where I turn, I'm like, okay, who am I speaking to? Nope, the entire crowd. Okay, got it. And then, I mean, I literally, in one spot, run up, talk to the crowd, and then be like, give them the hold on, and then run back into the scene. So uh, it's a blast. I, I, I enjoy being the narrator. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of words, so many words. But other than that... It's fantastic. <laughs> I guess you don't change character. I mean, even when you're speaking to the audience, you're still speaking to as Friar Tuck. So you stay in character to a large degree. Yes. yes. Uh, and that, that is handy because I do not think I could switch from this voice to the Friar Tuck voice uh, <laughs> correctly that many times. Does Friar Tuck have a different voice than you? Uh, well, I have to do the accent. And obviously, uh, we're getting to that. No, we're getting to no, that. No, no. Yes. I, I, I did tell Monica Palmer that I was going to have some fun and tease you all a little bit this morning no. about that. Um, so, Mike, along with the Sheriff of Nottingham, you are the villain I of am. the tale. You're determined to kill Robin. And you're also in a, a bit of a love triangle with the fair maid, Marion, uh, and Robin. 
Um, in one review of the original Old Glow production, Sagai was described as stern and exasperated. Tell us about your Sagai. Uh, I kind of take that over the top. I am, I am the extreme angry yelling guy that just full force. You take it to 11. I do. I do. <laughs> I, I can't think of a single time he is happy in this show. Not one <laughs> single time where he's not yelling and angry. There, are, there aren't really any gentle scenes with Marion. I and mean, even no. when you're with Marion, you're kind of annoyed at Robin or some other person who's on the stage yes. with you. Um, by day, you are a strategic communication specialist and graphic designer, is right? Yep. Missouri State Employers Retirement System, and by night, you're a villain. Is it cathartic being a bad guy? Do you like playing bad guys? I get cast as a bad guy a lot. I, I, it just happens. It's not anything I think that I do, but maybe I like that role. What other bad guys have you played? Uh, in Newsies, I was Snyder the Spider. If okay. you remember that guy, <laughs> the uh, the antithesis to uh, Jack Kelly. If there is a bad guy in the Adams family, I was the bad guy in Adams family. Was Mao? Uh, we also teamed up in Jesus Christ Superstar, where we uh, condemned oh, Jesus right. we were to die. Bad guys. Ah, oh, yes, I did that. see that yeah. at, at Capital City Productions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you do you dream of playing a good guy? I mean, would you would you like? Is it on your bucket list? Do you like? No, I'm just gonna play bad guys forever. Eh, I don't have to play a good guy. It's not not something that I would dream to do. Dave, do you get cast mostly as bad guys or good guys are kind of in the middle and different? Uh, it depends on uh, if the character is a pirate. If it is yes, <laughs> then I immediately get cast as that person. Or bouncer. Uh, I get that a lot. Uh, yes, I, I have a face made for bad guys. I just try really hard to be a good guy. And John Michael, you seem like you're made for good guys. Do you ever get cast as a bad guy? <laughs> I don't think I've ever really been cast as a bad guy. I believe he would actually have to do a bad thing before he could be bad as, as a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> so there are, let's see, there's, there's two female main characters mm -hmm. in the play. And one of them, Ken Ludwig said, he made up entirely the character of Derwin because he wanted to explore how Robin Hood developed his sense of passion for the downtrodden. John Michael, as you, as you are the closest to Derwin, tell us a little bit about her and, and her role in the play. Well, she's kind of like the catalyst for everything. It, the realization that Robin Hood has that um, that all these bad things are happening happen because of something that he sees happen to Deerwin. She's also the catalyst for the stump speech, for going to the tournament, for all of these things. Um, she's she's the main motivator in that. And Maid Marian had a bit of a do-over as well. So she's not really a damsel in distress. She's well-traveled, she's well-educated, she's a woman of the world. She knows her own mind and she's a master of the bow and arrow. Yet she still lets her family kind of marry her off, even if that may or may not happen, but you have to go and see the show to see it. Um, does she feel like a 21st century woman or is she a bit of an anachronism? Well, you know, Kelsey Slaughter is fantastic as our maid Marion. And uh, the thing I love the most about it is she brings this sense of uh, feminism to the role. And, uh, I mean, all of us know Kelsey and know this is right in her wheelhouse. And it's great watching her take a character that's usually, oh, help me, help me. Mm -hmm. And then she's jumping on stage and firing arrows and right along and everyone fighting. else. Yes. And she's fighting with all of you guys. Let's talk about the fighting, because I think you all maybe had some stagecraft lessons from Adam Bretsky. Mm -hmm. There are some pretty impressive sword fights. And um, do you get to actually fire a bow and arrow, too? Or is it pretend bow and arrow? It's pretend. <laughs> it's probably mm -hmm. safer. <laughs> 
So um, I hear there's a very impressive sword fight towards the end of the play. So had you done any stage fighting before, any of you? Oh, I guess you don't do it. Freitag, you don't do any stage fighting, do you? Uh, well, I introduce myself as a fantastic swordsman and then proceed to not fight the entire show. <laughs> I do drink, but not fight. That's probably a good strategy yes. in life, really. Um, Sagaya, do you wield a sword at all? I do. Okay, and Robin, you definitely wield. Yes. Robin, sorry, John Michael, you definitely <laughs> wield a sword. So um, how difficult was it to learn that? Well, we were all in a play together, uh, Treasure Island, and that's kind of where we were introduced to stage fighting with swords. Or at least right, and Adam also. With Adam, yeah. Yeah, and so then... Um, this is just kind of like part two for that. What is the hardest part to master? Like not hurting the other person or not hurting yourself? Memorizing the uh, the, the choreography. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the, and the bow, so the bow and arrow scenes, uh, it, you're just pretending to shoot a bow and arrow or are there actual... It, it's stage magic. It's stage, stage magic. magic. Yeah, we'll just say that. Okay, I guess there's a lot of stage magic in the show. So Elephant in the Room accents. Um, it is set in England, so I'm guessing you all are doing some version of an English accent. Uh, how are we all doing with that? <laughs> well, uh, completely lacking now. Thank you very much. Uh, I thought it was funny because I asked around through the cast, and I'm like, uh, you know, wh uh, what are you doing to, to practice your accent? And I heard a lot of, oh, I'm watching Monty Python. And they're like, what about you? And I said, well, I've watched a bunch of Guy Ritchie movies, mm -hmm. so mine sounds completely different from theirs. <laughs> but I, I think everyone's doing well. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I believe Mr. Uh, uh, Gisborne here next to me, I, I think he went the, a bit of the Sean Connery route. I like it. <laughs> I like where he took it. But we're just trying to be like you. Uh, well, well, there you go. Now, even more confusingly, Robin Hood is set in Nottinghamshire, which is the East Midlands, which is a hard accent for actors to mimic because it's not really northern, but it certainly isn't Guy Ritchie's go-blimey governor, Cockney. So, here you go, duckies. What it is, I have a sentence here for you all to read that my mam liked. So I've got a sentence here. I want you all to read it in a, in a northern accent. Okay. This is a great. This is there's, a great practice. There's a difference. It's a great practice <laughs> sentence. Okay, um, John Michael, let's uh, start with you. I saw a giraffe go up the path for a bath on a Sunday afternoon. Is that your northern accent? That is my whatever accent. <laughs> that's, just, that's the we, one he has. We just have that. It's an accent. Yes. Okay, okay, it's the guy of Gisborne. I saw a giraffe go up the path for a bath on a Sunday afternoon. Very Sean Connery. I told you, right? Yeah, I saw a giraffe go up to path for a bath on Sunday afternoon. Now I like how you've got the fur for the thurs. That's very good. I think that is a little bit, a little bit Nottinghamshire. Now, in an, if I was going to read it in my Lancashire accent, then I would say, "Saw a giraffe go up path for a bath on a Sunday afternoon." That's, that's very northern. That's very northern. Um, and if I was going to say it in a southern accent, a bit more like John Michael, then I would say I saw a giraffe go up the path for a bath on a Sunday afternoon. So it's a really great north-south divide because you've got that, that long and short A, giraffe, giraffe, and you've got the U sound, which is very different, up in the south and up in the north. But East Midlands accent is really somehow in between. So, so let me ask you this. What what is the name of the town, the county town of the Shire that uh, the play takes place in? How would you say the name of the town? Well, say the name of the forest. Or, or no, no, sorry, the, the, um, the sheriff of where? Not Nottingham. Nottingham. 
Nottingham. Fail. <laughs> <laughs> Fail Robin Hood. She's not pointing at me. <laughs> guy. And a pass to Dave Bond. Oh, wow. Yes, good job, Freitag. It is Nottingham. Uh, there's no I, I ham. Che- I, I cheated. I, I, I talked to a few of my friends in London, <laughs> and they, they've given me pointers. Yeah, that's one of those American tellers, is that you need to pronounce the ham. Or Edinburgh. 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 Bruh. 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 Yeah. Okay, yeah. so there you go. Um, so I saw a giraffe go up path for a bath on a Sunday afternoon. That will, uh, that will get you closer to Nottingham than Guy Ritchie over here. <laughs> <laughs> So, now let's see, Dave, you played an Australian in the Little Theatre's production of Mamma Mia back last year, and I listened to your little promo clip online, and it does seem like Freitag might have gone on a little bit of a walkabout. Uh, yeah. Is that an easier accent it to is. get than English? It was, it was harder for me to make sure that it didn't slip into Australian <laughs> than anything else. I, I mean, and it was a lot, of, it was surprisingly more work than I expected. I'm like, oh yeah, I could do an accent. And then every time I tried to open my mouth, Australian came out. But here's the thing. I played Bill uh, just like this. I did not give him an accent at all. Uh, now I can't stop doing an Australian accent. <laughs> it's a very tasty accent. It, it does kind of get into your brain and it, and it sits there. Um, do you like, all of you, do you like doing lines in an accent or yes? John Michael is nodding. It's radio. You can't yeah, it's nod. Radio. <laughs> yes, I, I very much enjoy doing accents. I, um, Kira and I... When, when we started dating, we would sometimes go to restaurants and pick an accent and just hold it throughout the meal. Um, see, see whether or not we could get the, oh, and where are you visiting from? And, and did it work? I think I did that once for Better Seats at a concert. There, it, it worked once really well at an Olive Garden. They're like, oh, why would you come down here out of all places? Who were, you, who were you being that day? Like, what, Do you remember what your accent was? Uh, it was it was just a very light British accent. And <laughs> Thank you for coming. And Oh, oh, here you go. Here's your tip. Uh, we really appreciate the service. Since we've been over here to the States, you, this is by far the best service that we've experienced. I'm glad you were being a nice Englishman and not like a, a really bad-tempered, snotty Englishman who was being superior. Thank you for uh, doing good things for my country there. <laughs> um... <laughs> It's hilarious. Mike, um, accents? Maybe character voices uh. rather than an accent. So find the voice for the character. doesn't really have to be an accent, but different voices. Do, do you have... Um, what voices taste the best to you? Cartoon voices. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, what, um, what accents do you like doing the most? How many have you done? In your um, acting career, I've been lucky. I've only had to do uh, a, a couple. I, I have done a show with uh, an Australian accent, and now uh, this is the second one I've done that's had a British accent, or my attempt at a British accent. Um, but uh, I, I personally, I, I, I agree with Mike. I like character voices, and it doesn't really matter whether they have an accent or not. I enjoy finding what makes them them. We have an amazing dialect coach that lives here in Colombia called Paula Van Landing, and I'm sure some of you maybe have met her. She speaks six languages fluently in over 50 dialects. And she coaches actors all over the world on how to speak yeah, different English accents, but also how to, like, if you're, if you're maybe uh, an, an, an Indian person, how to speak Arabic, or if you're a Bosnian, how to speak a line in Yiddish. I mean, she is phenomenal. Have you ever worked with a dialect coach? To perfect an accent or work on an accent? I've had to work with one uh, briefly to trying to uh, figure out a Russian accent. Mm. Um, 
I like to think that I succeeded. I don't know that I succeeded. Can you give us a blast of Russian? No. No. That was too long ago. Uh, but I made my way through. Luckily, I didn't have that many lines. Have either of you worked with a dialect coach? No? We had one for Newsies for a little bit. Okay. Just one session. Yeah. Gave us some cards to read and said, this is how you say it. Now, let's talk a little bit about learning lines, because one of the reasons that I would never get onto a stage is because I don't think I have a memory for lines. Everybody has a different technique. Um, Dave, what's your technique for learning lines? Well, first, I like to pretend that I don't have to memorize them all, and I wait till the last minute. (laughs) But then I usually take uh, one of the small spiral notebooks, the pocket notebooks, and I will go through and write down my lines from the show. you know, followed by like a lead in line from someone else. Um, I stole that from a co-star of mine in Mamma Mia, Jericho, but uh, it works. Something about taking it from the script and writing it down physically commits it for me. Oh, so you are actually physically handwriting it out yes. in the first place and then... Yeah, I can't, if I type it, it's not the same. I have no. to write it. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then how long do you think it... Like, are you working months out, weeks out? How long do you give yourself to learn? Like, Friar Tuck, how many months have you been working on this? Well, uh, again, I, I say that this time I am going to learn them immediately. And now I still have the, the notebook in my monk pouch with all my lines on it. So Director's favorite. Yes, I'm shooting for 10% missed tonight <laughs> as opposed to 15. Mike, what about you? What's your technique? Uh, I actually use an app on my phone mm. called Script Rehearser. It's a pretty good app. It's free. Type it all in and uh, it blanks out your lines so you can skip ahead and, and find all your lines. It'll even read it for you, but it's in a terrible Google accent. <laughs> so and maybe if they made Sean Connery voice on it, I don't know, or Morgan Freeman voice, maybe it'd be better. But does it does it time you too? So it gives you a space to say your lines, and then it then it says the next line. It's like, oh, I wasn't fast enough. Or can you do you pause? You push the button to to go to the next one. Okay. It doesn't read your line. You say your line. You push the button. Then it says it's something else. Okay. But it's free, so you can't beat that. <laughs> John Michael app or writing it all down in a spiral notebook. Wife. Wife. <laughs> Going back and forth with the wife for hours. Back, and um, she was way into theater from the get-go, so she has lots of memorization techniques. Um, and I just kind of rely on her expertise to uh, figure that out. Um, she'll be reading along with the script and be like, uh, you missed a word there. You're going to go back and you're going to do it again another five times. <laughs> now, your wife, as you say, is an actor. She was in Mamma Mia, I believe, for no, Capital she City was, Productions? She was in Mary Poppins and in Treasure Island. Mary Poppins and Treasure Island with TLT. Okay. And your son is young Robin. My son. Oh, your son mm-hmm. is young Robin. Oh, it's your, sorry, it's your wife that was in Mamma Mia. Yes. Okay. So, so all three people, your wife, you, and your son are all actors. Yes. Are there times when you're all in different productions and all trying to learn a different set of lines and... <laughs> My wife does a lot of dancing, so she'll do the dances and do that kind of stuff. Okay. And do you, do you, do your, do the lines kind of overlap? So, you know, you're learning one set of lines and you're trying to help you summon another set of lines and then suddenly his lines are in your head? Please say some young Robin lines tonight. <laughs> no, man. For me, please. <laughs> that would be bad. 
So that does happen then. I I'm just tease him about his lines, really, is what I do. <laughs> now, the Little Theatre presents all their shows at their very delightful uh, Miller Performing Arts Centre, which is really a gorgeous venue. But the problem is that it's a very expensive mm-hmm. venue to rent, so all your shows only have three performances, which seems like you all do a huge amount of work for three nights only. Yes. There's some eye rolling going on. How do you feel about uh, that, Dave? I, I, oh, I, I, how, I, how I wish that we could have more. Yeah. I really do, because we, I mean, everyone, uh, our director, Laura Wiedenhop, and our entire cast, we, mm-hmm. you know, we study these lines, and we go through all the combat and everything, and then we get three chances, and that's it. It's done. So that's don't miss it. It's rough. Yeah. I mean, I, I know how much work goes into a production. I mean, not only what you guys are doing, but the scenery designers, the costume designers, the lighting, the sound, all the people that are behind the scenes, the director, everybody is doing so much work just for three performances. Is there a way to make that different? Is there? Can the little theater find a new home? I mean, that would be ideal. I, I mean, one of us will probably win the lottery eventually, and then we, we can extend it then. So that's, that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> well, I hope you'll also give a little bit to the KOPN because you know we uh, you know we're always supporting the arts and uh, looking for lottery winners too. Do you any of you have a, a favorite theatrical version of Robin Hood? Oh, the Disney, of course. Oh, the Disney, mean, Disney version. Definitely Disney. Okay. Yes, my children actually, um, when they saw it the first night, uh, the only thing they were disappointed with is that I wasn't a fox. <laughs> <laughs> See, my kids are coming tonight, so hopefully I don't get that either. Well, I hope people get a chance to see it. It is only on for two more nights. Thank you so much to everyone. My second act guests today a day have been actors Mike Azar, John Michael Rutter and Dave Bond. Their production of Ken Ludwig's Robin Hood is on stage at the Miller Performing Arts Centre tonight and tomorrow at 7.30. And then, poof, it is gone. You can buy advance tickets by calling 573-681-9400 or you can take your chances and buy tickets on the door. Tickets are $15. Is that a safe bet or are you heading towards sellout for tonight and tomorrow? Do any of you know? No, there should be tickets left. There'll be tickets, so you can just turn up. It's a beautiful venue. I, I've only been it's there a once and it was... very large venue. It's pretty large. Okay, well, break a leg, everybody. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So Thank much. you so much. You are listening to Speaking of the Arts, and I'm Diana Moxon. As usual, we'll end the show with a look at some of the events that are coming up over the next few days in and around Columbia. This afternoon at 4.15, very precisely, the Monica A. Hand Memorial Graduate Reading, featuring works by three writers, will be at the George Caleb Bingham Gallery in the MU Fine Arts Building, and that's followed by a reception. It's free and open to all. And if you're after theatre tonight, there is a lot to choose from. At Talking Horse Theatre, the first play in their Year of the Woman is the Green Book Wine Club Train Trip, written by Kansas City's Michelle Tyreen Johnson. Set in mid-Missouri, the play focuses on five friends who board a train in Kansas City for a trip to various wineries and a mysterious detour to 1940s segregated Boonville. Showtime is 7.30 tonight and tomorrow, plus there is a final 2pm matinee on Sunday. At Columbia Entertainment Company, the musical comedy Legally Blonde is in its second of three weekends. Showtime is 7.30, plus it's a 2pm matinee on Sunday. And I think possibly tonight and tomorrow are sold out, so you might be looking at Sunday tickets only or returns. At William Woods University's Dulaney Auditorium, you can see Pride and Prejudice tonight and tomorrow at 7.30, plus it's a 2pm matinee tomorrow, so not Sunday, that's on tomorrow matinee. And tickets are $11 for that. As you just heard, in Jefferson City, the Little Theatre is performing Ken Ludwig's Sherwood, The Adventures of Robin Hood, this weekend at the Miller Performing Arts Centre. There are shows tonight and tomorrow at 7.30 and 
and tickets are $15. At the Stevens College Warehouse Theatre, the late 15th century play Every Man is on stage tonight and tomorrow at 7.30 with a final 2pm matinee on Sunday. The play is an allegorical accounting of the life of every man as he seeks to have his life's deeds tallied after death. Also at Stevens College this weekend, the dance company performs its annual concert tonight and tomorrow at 7.30. And this weekend is also Africa Fest 2020, the new African magic, hosted by Jabberwocky Studios and the MU African Graduate and Professional Student Association. Today, there is an African market featuring 12 to 15 African cooks and artists at Broadway Community United Methodist Church, and that's from 5 to 8. And there's also a free West African dance class taught by the Harambee Dance Company at the MU student rec centre tonight from 7 to 8 and that's free and open to all and at Rose Music Hall tonight Dave Durnley and Flossie Lee and the Bettys team up with River Ghost Review to present a tribute to Springsteen the show starts at 8pm and you'll need $5 to get through the door Tomorrow in Jefferson City, the River City Musical Review kicks off at 2pm at the Capitol Bluffs Event Centre and will feature nine bands. Tickets for that show are $15. The Odyssey Chamber Music Series, in collaboration with the Mizzou New Music Initiative, presents Kator Diotima and the Esther Hazy Quartet at First Baptist Church at 7pm tomorrow night. Tickets are available on the door and cost $20. And Africa Fest 2020 continues with a performance by visiting headliners, the Harambee Dance Company from the Bronx, along with four local acts at the Missouri Theatre and that's at 7pm. Tickets are $12 or you can get a family ticket for $25 and the festival concludes with an after party of modern African dance music at the industry and tickets for that are $5 and a, rem a reminder that we have a special Africa Fest offer today, just today only. For any donation you make of $60 or more, you will receive a free ticket to Africa Fest in addition to a thank you gift of your choice. There are a limited number of tickets remaining so give us a call. Remember also I'm going to double your money up until 11 o'clock so 573-874-5676 you get a lot if you call right now um, and yeah that's going to be at the Missouri Theatre on Saturday night. Ragtag Cinema continues to celebrate Black History Month with a series of films under the umbrella of Black Independence. This week's film is the 1988 nearly silent film Sidewalk Stories, directed by Charles Lame. The film is inspired by Charlie Chaplin and addresses the racial reality of New York City's working poor and homeless in the 1980s. The film shows on Tuesday and Thursday at 7pm. And Tripp's Children's Theatre holds its Broads on Broadway fundraiser next Tuesday at the Penguin Bar. The event for 21s and over will feature songs from Broadway with a gender-bending twist and the dragalicious hostess Veronica Versace together with Lux Queen. The event is from 7 till 9. Tickets are either $20 in advance or $25 on the door and include hors d'oeuvres and all the money raised goes towards supporting their costuming programme. Next Thursday, Skylock Bookshop and the Centre Project Teen Group are hosting Jazz and Friends from 6 till 8pm, an annual national book reading and discussion which celebrates transgender, non-binary and gender expansive youth. This is a free event open to all. And finally, the Indigo Girls return to Columbia with a show at the Blue Note next Thursday and you can find tickets from $35. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia with me, Diana Moxham, and my good friend and sound engineer, Mike Hagan. We'll be back next week with more arts chat and sneaky peeks behind the Mid-Missouri Arts Curtain. Until then, stay arty, Columbia.